Welcome back to Queer Dust Stories, everyone. This is your host, Moon Fang, and I'm wondering who you're gonna call when shit gets weird. Queer Ghostbuster Cat Web is a psychopomp, a priestess, a death educator, and just a delightful person to talk to. And I always enjoy talking with Cat because we always have so much fun talking about being creepy kids and hanging around with the dead. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did having it. I'll be back after, and thanks for listening. Thanks for being here, Kat. So good to see you on this um, cosmically challenged day. <laughs> right? I don't even know how many planets are in retrograde, but there's a lot. I, I think, think it's like six or seven, right? And the moon, there's some kind of action with Chiron and the moon and... Oh Unfortunately, gosh. I'm not an astrologer, so like I do read natal charts, but I'm not technically an astrologer. What? So I do a lot of like <laughs> I know, right? I'm 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 a priestess and I do witchy stuff, but it's not my forte. I prefer reading cards and I prefer, you know, penduluming and runes and stuff. Yeah. But that seems to be better divination for me than astrology, but I do love astrology. And yeah. I have an astrologer because, you know You do. I do. My astrologer is amazing. How often do you check in with your astrologer? I'm just curious because oh, yeah. I'm more she of a sends, dabbler. She sends, like... me, she sends me a monthly reading. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And so, yeah, I've been working with her for a number of years and she's pretty rad. And yeah, she always seems to like nail it, like nail it. <laughs> Remind me what your sun sign's in. You know that I'm a Gemini, but what, what's your sun sign in again? I'm Virgo, but I'm oh, in the you just said a house. Birthday. Yeah, I'm Virgo in the 12th house, though. So, like, all of my communication is all of this esoteric, um, paranormal, um, otherworldly, um, hidden knowledge, you know, like the, the little, hmm, the occult pieces, the, right. the things that are obfuscated and hidden behind the veil. That is where the majority of my planets are, are in the 12th house. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean... So, you know, because you have this like whole paranormal, um, I don't know, proclivity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what to call it either. PP. It's, it's definitely a calling. Um, it's, it's something that I've been asked to do by my guides for my entire life. And so like, I was the little kid who was like, oh, I see ghosts and like, oh, there's this thing <laughs> over here. And like, oh, I can sense your energy. And you know, like, <laughs> I was just that kid. And do, do you think that people in your, you know, in your life were taking you seriously at all? Or I mean, were they like, wow, or were they like weird? like that kid's creepy or you know what I mean like when you're a creepy kid and I you know loved graveyards and funerals and things too if they're like okay you know yeah um stop it (laughs) yeah actually my mom my mom read me um the chrysalids and I don't know if you know what that book is I don't but it's about these these children who are persecuted um by their community because they have the ability to see and to to hear and and to communicate telepathically and so they are hunted on this like island (laughs) bedtime story style yeah oh my god and this was like my mom's subtle way of like 
you know, like, hey, stop being weird. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't. <laughs> oh no, like it didn't, it didn't, I mean, I couldn't, like, this is my calling. This is who I am. Like, Doesn't it just reinforce like that you're going to be, this is who you are. I mean, for me, it's like when you're like, oh, they burnt witches at the stake. I'm like, cool, interesting. That was fucked up, but yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you know, when you're tasked with the the calling that that I am, it's like I'm being called to do this really important work, um, standing at the crossroads between life and death and holding this space spiritually for the souls that get stuck here through um, our death phobia, through fear, through negligence um, on terms of like not telling the person that they're actively dying. And so they die in confusion you know, like, this is the space that I'm asked to hold, and it's a very liminal, bizarre space to even talk about, let alone, like, claim, this is my work. Right. You know, this is what I do. And, like, the closest thing that I can, that we have in modern media to, like, describe what I do is, I'm a ghostbuster. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, 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 I go in to people's homes, and I clear out the energies, and they're like, all of a sudden, they're like, I can sleep better. And I'm like, I know, because I removed some really negative, weird stuff from your house. Um, I love it. So, like, there's not really a word for it. The word traditionally, um, in Greek mythology at least, is psychopomp. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. Right. Because I'm a psychopomp, and I've been doing that my whole life, and it's a calling. And it's part of why, you know... Um, I do death work and I do death education and I do death dualaship and those types of things. Yeah. It's so, um, isn't it like exciting that right now, I mean, one of the silver lining outcomes of like, you know, world pandemic is that these conversations and, you know, um, possibilities, you know, like we were just saying more is more is more is more because, you know, it's definitely feeling like, um, a lot less stigmatized but I mean you've been doing this a really long time right since like what has it been like 20 years of your life or 25 years yeah yeah I've actively known that I'm a psychopomp that I've been actively doing prayers and, and energy work on behalf of the dead and liberating souls yeah. remind me if Canada I don't know this about Canada but you all celebrate Halloween in a similar way that we celebrate it here in the states or okay so yeah, it's very similar cool. it's 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 the it's the <laughs> commercialized like going around right. knocking on doors um dressed up in you know face makeup and what you find at value village <laughs> right <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah so this time of year or like the time of year that we're heading into you know this is like i don't know like i definitely feel even though i live in southern california now so it's you know further away from um actual like seeing of trees dying or you know leaves falling and plants dying but there's still this energy you know that's um present Mm -hmm. and so I mean do you feel the same way like yeah you know October is just like yeah yes the veil starts to thin for me around August to be honest um okay yeah that makes sense it's it's like it seems to start earlier and earlier um for me each year it's like oh okay like there's excess work to do and so most of the time 
here's the thing about psychopomps. We all work differently. Mm-hmm. Each type of psychopomp does things differently. Most psychopomps will work bedside, one-on-one, and they are hospice nurses, and they are ER nurses, and they are, you know, uh, like death doulas. death doulas and that kind of stuff. Like, But then there are people like me, and I tend to act in one of two ways, and it depends on how thin the veil is. So the first way that I act is my guides will take me on the most bizarre routes when I'm driving to places. They will take me (laughs) on little side streets. And inevitably, on these little side streets, there's a cemetery, there's a nursing home, there's like an Mm. aging in place facility, there's a hospice, there is a hospital, you know, and there's a bunch of souls that are there and they're waiting. And I go up and I energetically pick them up, much like a bus. Right. So that's one way that I operate. The bus driver of souls, which I love. I love that you've said that before. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, there's this character in My Neighbor Totoro and it's this cat bus who runs in in the forest and picks up lost souls. And so like there's this joke that I'm the cat bus. You Um, are and your priest is cat. So that makes sense. And so like they get on board my little cat bus and I recognize that they're there. And a lot of times all that the souls are really needing is confirmation that they're no longer alive because we live in such a death phobic society. We don't talk about death and dying in the way that like, that really is centering the spirit and the soul of the person who's leaving this planet. Um, What we're talking about at end of life is Um, trajectories and test results and you know uh, is this medication working and you know timelines and trajectories of illnesses we're not talking about what that soul who's in that process is actually going through and most people do not receive clergy representation at end of life Mm. um, because if you're not part of like the major sort of five religions, you know, um, so Christianity, uh, Judaism, uh, Muslim, uh, 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 sorry, there's two others. Okay. I can't remember. I was going to say um, Buddhism, but that's probably not. Yeah, Buddhism is one of them. Oh, okay. There's, good. Another, yeah. one. there's, there's <laughs> another one and I'm totally forgetting, but like, this is not a theology part of those like sort of like recognized clergy. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a space where you can even enter into existential dread as an atheist. And that is really, really frustrating because there are some atheists who are offered clergy representation and they're like, no. Right. So they don't, they don't process their existential dread. And because they don't process that and the doctors aren't telling them that like, this is the, the, the trajectories, they're telling the families, those souls are not getting picked up properly. They're not getting transported properly. And so there requires an intermediary psychopomp. That's so interesting. Um, work. And like so, the last rights people. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, there's, there's people like me who have to like sort of pick up the excess because those souls are not being moved along properly. And so the second way that I operate is when the veil is more thin, I tend to... Um, tap into the other people who are psychics around me Mm -hmm. because there's so much work and so many people are honoring the dead at this particular time of the year Um, you know and we're we're reclaiming the process of of honoring the dead at this time of year cross-culturally more and more and more there is more traffic going through there and so what tends to happen during the busy season which would be right now is 
people who are not psychopomps, but rather just psychics or mediums or uh, intuitives, mm -hmm. those types of people are feeling the excess and they are getting tapped to do some of the psychopomp work. And so during this time of the year, you're going to start having more vivid dreams about people um, transitioning and helping them cross or doing soul retrieval. And this happens inevitably with a lot of psychics, even if they don't identify specifically as a psychopomp at this time of year when the veil is thin. Mm. So they're just going to be called yeah. because they're energy workers, basically. So it's like, well, yeah, of course, you know, you're going to be um, that's so interesting. I definitely, um, I like that concept of having like an atheist last rights representative or not just atheist, but sort of like, um, you know, someone who still needs that representation, but also doesn't identify as, you know, Catholic or Jewish. Well, especially as queers, because a lot right. of us have actually been harmed by religion. Like we've so actually true. been actively harmed by religion. And so the, as, as a queer, you know, um, practitioner of, of this type of work, it's like, we just do not have the, the access and the resources that we need to have good deaths yet. And that's really sad. And so like, that's a big part of why I'm so like active about melding the two like welding, mm -hmm. you know, and, and making my queerness a really big part of the grief work that I'm, that I'm offering to the public. Yeah. And, you know, um, a ritual space for queers who do not identify with a religion because I don't identify with a religion. Right. There's no religion that like, that understands what I, what I believe. Um, the closest thing would be an animistic process of like, everything has a spirit, everything has a soul you right. know and that's the closest thing that i have to a religion and i think that a lot of people even atheists can agree that there is an energy that is there when you're alive and that energy because we know energy can't be created or destroyed it's <laughs> not there after death right. and that can be explained scientifically that you don't need to enter into a place where there's a god or a deity or an energy or anything other than this is this is the the spark that is now not there right and and understanding that and going through a process and like really grieving um is something that i feel is still very often denied mm -hmm. to queers and to our community at large when one of us dies we don't have the the infrastructure yet you're the queer ghostbuster. I am the queer ghostbuster. And that is, you know, that, that, that's everything coming full circle, really, since my childhood. Because I'm like, these ghostbusters do not represent me. <laughs> no. I liked the librarian, you know, I think it was like Annie Potts or maybe Annie Potts look like. Anyway, um, yeah, I think that that is absolutely right. And um, so, you know speaking of like the good death um we've talked before about like the impact of death phobia and trap souls <laughs> you know and like how that creates this sort of static you know i don't know container or bubble i think you've described it as like we're you know basically surrounded by all these souls that 
have no place to go and not just people souls obviously all souls people souls yeah right yeah so you know um like when people bring up death phobia to me i'm like yeah i'm really afraid of like someone messing up and like embalming me or um putting me in like a you know iron casket or something that i don't want that's my death phobia mm-hmm. you know it just repulses me because i don't want to be trapped here mm-hmm. you know i don't want to be the ghost like hanging around like um so i mean i know you have thoughts on that but do you think that um people are more receptive to sort of dismantling that at this time of year i mean especially since we're like here now at this you know spooky time spooky season pumpkin everything you know do you find that people are a little bit more open to like you know, talking about their death or like what death justice could be like or <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like here's the thing, and like it's it's kind, of, it's kind of a joke in the industry. It's like, okay, so we're all death duelists. How many of us have done our wills? Yeah, <laughs> like nobody, right? Like this is the thing. It's like I've done mine. I've done mine. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Well done. Thank you. I have not finished mine. I have started it's mine, but I have cute. not. I have not gone through the process of like getting it all like documented officially, and so like it's just those types of things. It's like. The paperwork is really the thing and it's also expensive Mm -hmm. and so you know that i that sort of like alienates a lot of people i mean we actually have to update our wills because we did it in maryland and so now you know so it's like a half truth like we've done it but we need to like also re-up it now that we're in california and that's the thing it's like so many people don't keep on top of these things and like it's 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 kind of a joke in the industry but like it's it's really real it's like there's so much that goes into planning for your death it's like people might be more open to talking about it but like Mm -hmm. honestly I think that people more like the jump scare um factor of Halloween rather than the actual like spiritual process of Halloween still um you know, like, there's more mainstream acceptance, you know, with, you know, um, like, the Day of the Dead being Mm -hmm. claimed, and, um, you know, bonfires that that happen in Europe, and stuff like that, and, like, so these things are happening, we're reclaiming these things, we're reclaiming this time of year, we're reclaiming this portal energy, and so, um, I feel like it's happening more naturally but I also feel like there is there is sort of like um a pushback to like no this is supposed to be just silly and fun and light and whatever Mm -hmm. and the this the solemnity isn't quite there yet um we're still not treating this as like um really honoring the portals and so what we'll do is we'll be like oh, the portal is thin, I will call my ancestor to me. And then they don't remember to send their ancestor back. (laughs) (laughs) That's problematic. You know? And so sometimes ancestors can hang around for a long period of time, but sometimes they're just like, okay, you called me here, I'm here. And now you're not speaking to me again because we're not, you know? And so a lot of what I work with and what I talk about is ancestor veneration and how Mm. to make a good... Um, connection with your ancestor and to feed your ancestors and to make sure that like 
that that they're connected to you in a good way so that they can come and go as they please as opposed mm-hmm. to like you calling them in and then you know them kind of like hanging around waiting um, right so there's 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 still a lot of like not real understanding about what all of these pieces are like people will play around with a Ouija board right mm-hmm. right and right again, like if they don't know what they're doing they're calling energies into their home and then they don't know how to get rid of them and so there's certain things that do matter around this work depending on how your intent is and how um subconsciously witchy you are without identifying as a witch or going through the work of like understanding uh how to clear out energy and how to call energy in and how to make a safe space to do energy work which are all really important things to learn before right. you start messing around at this time of year when the veils are thin so right. it's kind of like <laughs> yes it's getting better because more people are are you know embracing Santa Muerte and that kind of piece like around you know like there is a beautiful death goddess who you know embraces us and carries us home and these pieces you know are starting to become more mainstream which is beautiful but again you know, people are still messing around a lot and not really sure what the veil being thin means because we've kind of lost this spiritual context for why we're doing these things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, up until recently, like as of maybe 10 or so years ago, it was all very unintentional for me. It was just like something I felt intuitively and didn't really have like, you know some sort of um understanding until it would like come back and literally haunt me you know in my life um with my own altar i feel like my ritual is i have this huge um lamp on it you know and all my pictures and ancestors and stuff um and then so i turn i put it on in the morning and i take it out at night so i feel like they're with me during the day you know and i'm speaking with them and then at nighttime I'm like good night you guys <laughs> that's beautiful that's Thanks. beautiful because that's you that of this. Your, that's your own autonomous connection with your ancestors and that is so important it's your own ritual that you have crafted specifically with them it feels good to you it feels good to them and it's a way that you can connect and disconnect you know and I feel like that's a really good practice that you've got set up there thank you I appreciate your approval I, um, cause I, you know, I don't know, but that's what feels right. And if I forget to turn that lamp on, I tell you what, like I hear like, you know, they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're waiting. And yeah. Like, oh, I'm so sorry, grandma, you know, and et cetera. Yeah. Um, and it really started because when I met my wife and I moved in with her, I felt a really strong presence of her mom who I never met, who's been dead for over 12 years now. Um, and it was kind of, you know, Lisa already had a, an altar going in her house, but I really felt like I was in communication with her. And um, Lisa was actually in this like near death accident um, when she was with her daughter in China during that time period, like a moped accident. And her mom was like such a badass rock for me. I mean, I can share this with you because I know that you understand, right? Mm-hmm. This wasn't something I was telling people, mm-hmm. you know, um, at the time. But I was just sort of like, Nikki and I are communicating. She is definitely present. Um, and ever since then, because she was really there for me, 
I have been like, you know, she is, <laughs> she will get what she needs. You know, we will definitely take care of her. And um, it's really strange because, you know, Lisa's a very also energetic, you've met her, like, you know, she's open to this too. And she's yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why my mom's talking to you, but yeah, we will pay attention. Yeah. Um, it's strange, you know. Um, I don't have any other language for it. I'm just sort of like, well, I'm just going to make them this beautiful altar and, you know, keep the veneration. You know, I didn't really think about it that way. But um, yeah, like closing the circle is really, you know, for the day is really important. Um, but I think like what's really cool is that because you've been doing this for so long and have like, you know, a lot of experience and education around it is like, yeah, you can really help people, you know, understand it, not feel like a total, you know, whatever weirdo, which I'm comfortable with being a weirdo, obviously, but like, you know, yeah. um, just being able to talk to you about it and you'd be like, yeah, you're doing a good job. I really do appreciate that. Cause I'm like, yeah. I don't know. It's just what feels good, you know? Yeah. And this is the thing. It's like, I tend to be the person like in the circles where like if shit gets weird call cat right you know yeah. like that's just <laughs> you know like when things get weird i get phone calls it's like oh you know like i feel like there's a presence in my house can you sing for me oh you know like i feel like this is that this is uh happening to my spirit i feel like i'm overwhelmed by you know an ancestor like can you talk to them yes you know like <laughs> and so like I get these weird phone calls like you know I think I'm possessed it's like no honey <laughs> I'm not possessed um you know and like there you know there's so many people who come to me and they're like I've been seeing ghosts since I was a little kid and this is the reason why I love doing public speaking mm -hmm. because invariably, invariably, there's a little old lady who's like 75 at the back of the audience who totters up at the end. And she's like, I didn't know there was a word for this. I have been <laughs> seeing ghosts my entire life. I have been working in mortuary science and I have, you know, had a funeral home. And, <laughs> right. but, and, it's, and it's really intense that at 75, these these women uh, and and these people are learning this term and they're feeling moved enough to like come up and talk to me about their own paranormal experiences so like it's really I feel really blessed and uh that I learned the word when I was 15 mm -hmm. you know because it's 26 years later and you know for the last 26 years I've been helping people figure out what this path looks like yeah that's amazing yeah, I think like having language or having a way of identifying something is so, you know, it's like, ah, oh, this is what's happening, you know, and that's, that's like across the board, you know, whether it's queerness, whether it's like mental health stuff, you know, it's like stuff we don't really, we can't see or, you know, we feel shamed about. Um, but when you have that word, you're like, oh, yeah. I totally, and like the first time I met you, you know, when you were talking, I was like, yes, yes, I, I get this now. It's a yeah. thing. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like, I tend to talk about the things that are more taboo that we're not really talking about yet. Um, 
in a lot of circles. And so, you know, merging the different facets of my personality, like artist and priestess and queer and parent and, mm-hmm. you know, like all of these different pieces that, that exist inside of me, um, you know, bringing them all to the table and, and saying like, this is me is, has been a challenge, you know, but also, you know, understanding Chiron and, you mm-hmm. know, going back to astrology for all. Right, right, right. Of course. You know, like understanding my Chiron brings me a lot of power. Understanding what my wounding was as a child about being the weird kid who talks to ghosts, like thinking that I was crazy and then understanding that this is actually a phenomenon that a lot of people over time have experienced. And we have it in historical documents that say, like, since the beginning of time, there have been people who have been called to do this particular thing. Right. And that doesn't make me crazy. It just makes me sensitive in a way that other people are not sensitive. And that's okay because like other people have gifts that I don't have, you know, maybe they can do accounting, you know, like I can't do accounting. <laughs> maybe they can fill out forms. I can't fill out forms. Right. You know? um, but what I can do <laughs> is I can help people understand that the paranormal things that they're going through are not crazy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They're not crazy. They're not bad. They're not wrong. They're simply you're tuned to a particular frequency that can that can pick that up. Some people can. Some people can read feelings. Some people can read uh, like emotions and you know different body postures and mm-hmm. you know like eye movements and stuff. It's like there's so many ways to read this energy. Um we don't really understand why we're feeling all of it, but we have extrasensory perceptions. All humans do. We, we live, you know, in this understanding that we only have five senses, but that's not true. We have proprioception, which allows us to understand where we are in time and space. Mm-hmm. Everybody has that, you know, but we don't talk about it. So like there are extra senses that all humans have just because we don't talk about them doesn't mean that they're not normal. Doesn't mean that you're crazy. It just means that you are sensitive in a way that somebody else isn't. That's why I like that movie, The Sixth Sense, which I wish that they would, um, you know, also update because it's kind of like pretty corny in a lot of ways. But um, I remember seeing that whenever that came out and was like, yeah, they're, you know, they definitely wanted to make it like this, like creepy, you know, um, and, you know, children can be very um, creepy. Because, you know, they're just so close to, I don't know, they're just so open and they're just so close to the ground. I don't know, they're just, they're like... Well, the reason why they're creepy is because they are closer to the source. Like, yeah. you know, um, they haven't gone through the full, like, understanding that what they're seeing in the spirit realm, they're more sensitive to the right. spirit realm um, because they just came from there. And so, you know, that starts to fade unless it's actively... Um, cultivated right right you know like because we're told oh that that's not there you're crazy and so we start to believe that and we start to train ourselves to not see the things and it's really kind of interesting because it's almost like a parallel to abuse Mm. as it's Mm -hmm. like when you are being abused you don't honestly know that you're being abused a lot of the time because it has happened slowly and incrementally over time and you're told it's not happening yeah you're told that it's not happening right and so this it's not it's not exactly abuse but 
it's gaslighting for sure. Absolutely. In, in telling these children that they are not experiencing what they're experiencing closer to source. And that always gets into dodgy territory because mm-hmm. then that makes the kid feel like you're not safe and you're not trusted and like, and it creates a feedback loop in that person as they age. Mm-hmm. Another one of my um, passions is inner child work and intergenerational healing um, and inter- breaking intergenerational curses. So I also okay. talk a lot about inner child work in, yeah. in the, the grief process. Um, I love that. So like all of these things are really interconnected. So, you know, if we gaslight the child and we tell the child that like they're not seeing what they're seeing, that, you know, the dead person goes away, they go to heaven, they go wherever, you know, and then they don't ever talk about it. That child gets stunted at that age. And that is their only understanding of death is the death at like, whatever age that happens at at age four at age seven at age 12 Mm -hmm. you know they get emotionally stunted in that is what death is and unless they actively go through the process of like really sitting with their existential feelings Mm -hmm. on things when they actually get to the point of their death or somebody else is in there somebody else who's close to them they turn back into that inner child they turn back into that four-year-old that seven-year-old that 12 year old that Mm -hmm. had that initial understanding of what death is and what death means and so they start responding and lashing out in grief ways Mm -hmm. as a four-year-old as a seven-year-old as a 12-year-old and you mean like being angry or being withdrawn or all of it all of it they turn into whatever age it was that they first encountered their fear of death And so this is why at end of life, we see a lot of families fighting over objects and stuff like that, or fighting over money. It's not about that. It's about that four-year-old and that six-year-old, you know, who were vying for mom and dad's attention, who were trying to get, you know, mm-hmm. and that fighting that's happening at end of life um, with the family dynamics is often just that. It's unhealed inner child dynamics that are just like, well, you did this to me when I was six, so I'm going to take the China. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like, right. well, you did this, so I'm going to take the jewelry. You right. know, like it's it's this sort of dynamic that ends up um, happening at families in at end of life. And so, you know, again, going back to the queer factor of this, a lot of us are estranged from our families mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. our families are deeply unsafe or homophobic or dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so we don't even enter into those conversations. And so we don't even have, and and so if we're being met with a parent who's dying that we're estranged from, that creates a whole other level of like trauma and grief that you have to go through at end of life. Mm-hmm. And so if you haven't really addressed your own feelings about your own mortality, it's really hard to do those other pieces when you're faced with a death and your trauma response kicks in and you are suddenly that four-year-old, seven-year-old, 12-year-old. Wow. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, I'm just thinking about like, well, my own experiences and like what I've observed. And I think it just, you know, again, leans into death phobia, you know, and, um, and how, you know, there's this resistance and denial, like we age, we die, 
Um, yeah, and with with the queer part of it, it's so true. It's like you're on the outside, you know. And that that doesn't happen just with like obviously with children, and, you know, parents. It happens with like you know if if you're queer and and your partner dies, you know, and there's really no acknowledgement or support. Um, yeah. And that's the thing, depending on the type of partnership that you have, depending on level of documentation, family of origin can sometimes prevent you from showing up bedside, right? showing up uh, to claim the body at the funeral home. Like uh, the, the family can dress you in, the family of origin can dress you in whatever they want. They can name you whatever they want. Mm -hmm. They can use, like in the case of trans folks, they can like, Medic, uh, sorry, cosmetically just detransition them and make them look like they're assigned gender at birth. And yeah. it's like there are people out there, there are funeral homes that are actively doing this. And I feel disgusted mm -hmm. by these factors because these are extra stumbling blocks that those souls who are actually leaving the planet are getting stuck here because their parents like are devaluing who they were. And so. Right or their family of origin is devaluing who they were, whether that be a parent or a child, an adult child um, who's, who's arranging that. Um, but yeah, like there's so many pieces due to our queerness that like, it's really important that we have whatever documentation, like I was saying, documentation is important. Right. You know, right. Um, these things yeah. are tricky. These things are tricky and you know, um, unless we start having these types of conversations, we don't even know what we don't know. Exactly. Because right. we don't want to talk about it. And so we think everything's going to be fine until the unthinkable happens and we find that we're at the bedside and we find that we're not the next of kin and we find out like, so there's a lot of pieces that can go into that, into preparing and making sure that, that we have the documentation and representation in place so that we can start um, having better um, end of life trajectories, better um, aging in place solutions, better, you know, um, post-mortem outcomes um, for funerals and for uh, grieving rituals for community. Because again, some funerals, if they take place at a church, queers are not always going to feel comfortable going to a church to grieve right. someone. And so there are barriers to how we as queers have been able to historically grieve. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I mean, I think like that's one of the things about, um, you know, I was really drawn into death midwifery because not because I want to, uh, you know, sit with the dying necessarily, but because I really do believe in agency and, and advocacy. Um, and I think that really stems from being a queer person. Um, and so as a, you know, identifying as a woman also, like, I think, um, you know, any marginalized person really understands that, like, we need agency, we need advocacy so much. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, a lot of times it ties in with like having to do like, you know, advanced directives and, and doing all those like dreadful packets and paperwork. But like, if we have somebody that's like, you know, uh, working with the spirit like you are and then we have somebody like um like later today i'm talking to someone who really likes the the, the paperwork 
Um, and then there's someone like me that's just like, you know, I can help and I have helped other people advocate for themselves or for the dying. It's like, of course, it takes the village, right? Like we're, we're here and we all have our gifts, like you said, and like we know what they are. We're not all going to be funeral directors, um, thankfully. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's I do really feel hopeful, like it's really opening up. Um, even though there's like this tendency, you know, for capitalism and, you know, like, like all the, you know, sticky parts of like, you must make a certain amount of money and like, it should be a valued job. These should be, you know, jobs that people get paid for, obviously. But like, um, you know, with commercialism, you know, you lose like that sanctity. And like, we're already battling that, like you said, with, um, you know, Halloween should really be, um, and all of these, not just Halloween, but like all the days leading up to and after um, should really be spiritual. Um, but with the sanitization around death, there's like, well, we can only have like, you know, serial killer slasher films <laughs> or, which is fine, or, you know, nothing <laughs> like that's, yeah. and that's, that's, I, I find the frustration with that too, especially like around the, um, you're the missing piece, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'm the missing link. Yeah. Um, so like, that's the thing. It's like, there's a long chain of, of ancestors that know that they can be here to support us at this particular time of year it's a time of year that the spirits are here to fortify us to get us through the winter mm, it's mm-hmm. it's a celebration it is the last harvest festival of the year and we do it we celebrate it to sustain us it's a powerful memory it's a powerful moment it's a powerful exchange crossroads time and so having this large celebration where we invite our people where we uh celebrate with desserts and sweets and you know um dressing up and joyous times like all of that stuff makes sense contextually but the way that we've commodified it you know it's like you're buying a bulk pack of candy and you're like handing it out to kids at your door and that is sort of your evening and right. that, <laughs> candy corn and that's it right it's like it's like okay here's some caramels here's some candy corn here you go like and that's beautiful but it's really dumbing down what it actually could be like that's a really good thing for children like yeah. to access that spirit and like when i was a kid i just loved it so much and i grew up in a family, you know, my mom's side of the family was not into it, you know, so I really felt that connection. But I think like, yeah, for kids, especially like, hey, this is your chance to like, you know, be that ghoul that you are inside or demon or whatever, mm-hmm. let it out and move on yeah. or whatever. Um, but like, then it, that ends at like age 10 or, you know, whatever is considered appropriate. Um, and then what? Like there's nothing. <laughs> then you grow up to be like me and have Halloween decorations all around your house all oh, year too. long. Yeah. All year long. <laughs> like I literally do not take these things down. No. I, I 
I go out shopping when the Halloween season is over and I buy lots of weird stuff and then yes. I decorate my house with it. Hey. So that's what happens to that 10 year old. Yeah. Let you know. I know. That 10 year old is me. I I mean, that's that's like, you know, the beauty of it. It's like, yeah, of course. But there is this sort of like, okay, well, you know, now it's November 1st. I mean, you know, and the non, uh, the cultures that don't celebrate Dios de Marcus. But like, yeah, like now we put it away. Mm-hmm. And now it's all about like colonialism. Hooray. Um, yeah. I, well, at least here in the States, we really, I don't know. I can't speak for all the world, but like, yeah, I think um, well, we all share colonialism everywhere. So like, well, right. Also like it used to be like a whole series of, of festival days. Right. Um, I wish it was still like that. Yeah. I mean, it was a whole series of festival days. So like it would start on the 30th and then 31st and then the first and then the second and then the third. And so those sorts of days, that chunk of days was like all sort of ancestor veneration da 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 da, da days. Um, now what ends up happening and as a whole, <laughs> as, as a North American uh, sort of thing, what happens November 1st is they roll out the Christmas products. Right. And they start playing the Christmas music in the stores and they start like, did you buy your Christmas presents? And so like those days that were seen as like a really pivotal moment between the the light and the dark and mm-hmm. the changing of the seasons and the crossroads and the, the bonfire and the, you know, the moment of connection with the life force spark that Mm -hmm. happened we're now doing a sugar rush and then doing christmas right after and so like it's just it's very bizarre being in north america um (laughs) again it's just like commercialization you know capitalism all the things that we you know don't really like in our in our circles um and we're working against Um, I mean, I think like, you know, and I know that you're giving like on Halloween, you're going to give space for people to come and talk to you. Um, before we go, I want you to talk about that. Um, but like, I guess what people really need is like an entry point, you know, like, well, I don't exactly know how to do this or, you know, um, but it's like, you know, like, where do you engage and like, appropriately without appropriation and because that gets confusing too it's like oh there's all these events you know that are not about my culture of course I want to celebrate that you know in in spirit but also not be like that's you know something I feel like I need to yeah you know take over um that gets kind of tricky too it's a little bit right it does it does like even the word psychopomp it's a greek word I don't know if I have any greek ancestry You know, like, I'm pretty sure I'm Irish and Welsh. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I come (laughs) from pasty places. I don't think I'm actually have Greek lineage, but I haven't done the DNA test, so who knows? Um, But what I can tell you is that, like, I feel very, very close to, you know, Mama Hecate. And that's just been there since I was 15. That was the reason why I started this work. It's the reason why I found the word psychopomp. Like... She's been my guiding force. Even when you look at my astrology chart, 
asteroid Hecate sits right on top of my sun in my astrology chart. So she sits at the same degree <laughs> in my astrology chart as my sun. So like she's literally, you know, there. Um, my birth name is a derivative of her, of her name. So it's just like there are connections to things that go beyond right. cultures. But <laughs> I don't ever go in and claim that like, I have been trained by da 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 da. You right. know, like I have been very honest and like you can go to my website and you can see who I've trained with, you know, like you can see where, you know, um spaces that that people have um invited me in. Uh and so like I don't go to places where I'm not invited. And right. so if I'm invited into a space, then I feel okay entering into it. But I always think about it. It's like when I'm in this space. You know, um, am I claiming that it's mine? No, mm -hmm. I'm a guest. And as such, I act accordingly. Right. I act respectfully in that space. I understand that it's not centering me, you know, and I don't want right. to be centered in that space. I would like to just be there to, as a supporter in that space. Or like, if I do share something, I make sure that it's a short, to the point, succinct share, mm -hmm. and then, you know, step back, you know, respecting people's time and autonomy around those spaces that I am invited into that are not part of my cultural heritage. Now, something else that I kind of need to put as a disclaimer about me specifically is because I am so out there, mm -hmm. I receive a lot of teachings directly from source, from the universe, from divine consciousness. I don't know what you want to call it. And so a lot of my practices have actually been shaped through that process of downloading the information and then creating ritual around what I've received. And so a lot of the rituals that I do personally are not necessarily from any culture or any other religion. They are mm -hmm. just strictly, these are the things that I've been taught by my guides to do this work safely. And then I pass those things along. Mm -hmm. So I'm channeling. So it's more like spirit. It's yeah, not I'm really channeling about spirit like and I am downloading information and I am then, um, doing what any um healer teacher guide does in any culture whether that be like you know people use terms like shaman people use terms like medicine person mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like i don't use any of those terms like i'm a priestess and you know my specific energy work is the work of the dead and the dying and the grief but also transitions so anything that requires a deep grief transformation um divorce transitioning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um uh estrangement all of these pieces are pieces where we're stuck in our grief right by right. liberating ourselves from our grief in these places it allows an easier death because we've ex we've gone into the existential dread here and now when we're facing these things and then ritualized it and moved it through our process and then come out the other side and then we can wisdomize that become better people I love that so much I mean that's why I think like you know your work is really important obviously but also it's very like you synthesize it so well I think that people really forget that these like little deaths these little griefs you know um yeah we get stuck and that when I started working in you know like as a grief companion um I've became aware that people would reach out to me and it's not because they have a dead you know person they're grieving or a dying person 
it's because yeah these you know um parts of identity are changing or ending or starting over or and um we just don't make a lot of space you know for that it's like well get back to work because you got to make that money and uh you know that's over so um you know unless it's like about something that um is really you know we're celebrating like giving birth mm-hmm. and um you know that's probably for another time you and I can talk about that like as we have children <laughs> but like you know it's it's interesting to like have had that experience and like people being really like stoked or whatever you know and or like it's really part of like cultural acceptance and then like the other side of that is like death workers like like when you tell someone at a party you know when you're not amongst us right <laughs> and they're like why did you just bring that up <laughs> or like yeah. why do you do that or like yeah. what that's so weird um but i'm like yeah. hi all of you have children so you you've participated you know you're you're part of this cycle you've been born i imagine or you know you appear to be corporeal corp yeah i can't even say the word cuz i'm laughing it's like you know it's like you appear to be alive yeah. so you know you're part of this um you know um Anyway, um I definitely want to talk to you again because I feel like it's, you know, an ongoing conversation. Um not just as friends, but also like I always learn so much when I talk to you. And I also feel like, you know, the reason I want to have the space is because I feel like the more we talk about it and the more that there's like, oh, I would like to talk to them about this, um, you know, then it's just like, you know, there's more acceptance and inclusion and um so before we go you are having an event on um October 31 yeah um uh, my favorite day yeah at noon pacific and it's called as the veil thins um and i like it, that as the veil thins sounds like a and, soap opera <laughs> and it's an ask me anything with yours truly psychopomp priestess and so okay. it is people who have questions about the paranormal about this time of year about death and dying about what happens to your soul about what what processes ease the soul what what it means to be a queer person facing you know estrangement it's an ask me anything about grief death and dying and uh space holding for those who are um departing the planet um so beautiful so how do people find you what's the best way Oh, my website. So okay. it's it's just catweb c a t w e b b .com. Okay. And then also like you're on Instagram. Are you on oh, yeah. Twitter? Are you a no, Twitter? I'm not person? on Twitter. Okay. I'm on no. Instagram and I'm on Facebook. I okay. never really got into the Twitter thing. I understand. It's like a whole other verse. It's like the Twitter yeah. verse. I'm sort of new at it, so I I'm I'm there, but I'm not really like I'm trying to venture into TikTok territory. Oh, I think you're so great. It's like baby steps, like trying to get hit with the kids these days. It's so fun too because it really is like the combination of like, you know, arts, music, and then you can talk about like, you know, what you're doing. Um, thank you so much. I'm going to of course, oh, can you hear that sound? Um it's funny I'm like playing around with like end songs um wind chimes 
Uh, I'm going to continue with you, but we're going to say goodbye here mm-hmm. for now. So um, until next time, Cat Web. you have to stop the chat. I think you've got to stop it. Okay, friends and fam, you can find out more about CatWeb on their website at catweb.com. And if you would like to participate on their October 31st, Ask Me Anything, find them on Instagram as catwebpriestess, also on Facebook, And by the way, speaking of Facebook, have you joined our private Facebook group yet? Please join today and we can continue connecting and sharing and so on. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram and let's be friends. The next two episodes take me to one of my favorite places in the world, New Orleans, where I got to chat and meet two incredible people that I like to call my friends now a queer performance artist named Cypress, and a death witch named Kuk Teflon. Till soon, lots of love, Moon.